Take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, open up to Romans chapter 12 this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be in verses uh, 3 through 8 uh, this morning. Uh, let's uh, begin by reading the Word of God, and then we'll uh, say an opening prayer uh, before the sermon. For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, uh, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and heavenly father, we ask that you would speak to us from your word. Uh, we ask that you would uh, uh, Just guide and and direct me and give me the words to say, Lord. We pray that that this would be a a passage that we enjoy going through, a passage that instructs us, corrects us, uh, even reproves us and and trains us as you promised uh, your word would do. Lord, we do pray that we would be a a church that is growing in unity and love, uh, that we would uh, not think of our own interests first, but look after the interests of others and use uh, our our spiritual gifts in, in that way. Uh, In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you follow sports or have a particular sport uh, that you enjoy watching uh, on TV. Uh, I guess right now it's it's basketball season and I think the All-Star game was just uh, this weekend. Uh, Have you ever thought about a team in sports where one player not only stands out as better than all the rest... But let's everybody know they're the most important player on the team. Uh, and you think about that. And for me, I, I find that just to be such a, a distraction to the game. I love it when you have the underdog team and all the players have to work together and there's no one grandstanding star. But when you have that one star and he gets traded around to different teams or he goes here, or goes there to try to win the championship. And, and he he pretends that he's God's gift to this sports franchise and the whole thing would fall apart without him. I, I just find that kind of uh, kind of disgusting. I just I want to see that guy lose, quite frankly, because I want him to know it's not about him. We are in a passage of Scripture that reminds us that inside the body of Christ, we aren't to think of ourselves as that star player. We aren't to think of ourselves as that one person who has uh, all of the gifts. And the church would fall apart if if I was not here. And, And nobody else can do this job the way that I do it. Rather, we're to have this diversity of gifts that comes together in in unity that is that is interlocking kind of like lego blocks are interlocking and one gift just fits into the other and they're not the same gift but when you use them together uh, the whole body just flourishes and so our main point this morning is this in humility use your spiritual gift in christ's body or for christ's body 
So in humility, use your spiritual gift for Christ's body. It is a spiritual gift. It's something given by God. It is a gift. But that doesn't mean that you're God's gift to everyone else in the sense of being the most important, that it would all fall apart without you. So we just want to unpack this. And each each uh, point is going to kind of build on the last point. The first thing this morning is simply this. Be humble. There's nothing more practical in the Christian life than saying, be humble. Do not think of yourself as more important than you should. So look at how Paul begins this section of Scripture in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So Paul is saying this first as an apostle. He's saying this out of the gift that God has given him. By his grace, he is shepherding the church, teaching the church, leading the church. And he says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Romans 1, 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul connects often his his ministry of being apostle to to the ministry of God's grace, that God gave him grace in salvation on the Damascus road. And in those same moments, God called him to be an apostle. And so being an apostle, being a a servant of God, being a preacher in that sense, taking the word of God out, being one of the founding fathers, if you will, of the church, the cornerstone, of course, uh, being Jesus Christ himself. Paul still says, my apostleship is by God's grace. I no more merited it than I did my own salvation. God no more needed me to be an apostle than he needed me to be saved. It's by sheer grace that God saves us. And so it's by this sheer, overflowing, abundant grace that God gives us spiritual gifts. And how dare we think along the lines of, well, I am so needed because I have this gift. That's not to say that you aren't important if you have a particular spiritual gift. That's just to say, don't put yourself in a higher position than you should. Uh, Romans 15, 15, Paul says, because of the grace of God given to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So this apostleship and ministry was by grace. But then you think of Paul's experience and you think of Second Corinthians. And Paul says in Second Corinthians that, that in order to keep him from being conceited, Second Corinthians 12, 7, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. So in other words, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh is. It it was some kind of ailment, probably. Some people think it was probably his eyes. I think that's a a good guess as any and and more probable than any other options. Uh, But we really don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. But Paul says, I got this to keep from being conceited. They had seen the glory of God in the face of Christ, literally. And God was going to use him in a powerful way. And yet God gave him some kind of thorn in the flesh that caused him regular suffering to remind him he was just a man. And so when Paul says this here among you, that you should not think of himself more highly than he ought. Paul himself has walked this experience. I'm not saying that Paul was particularly vulnerable to pride. I don't know what his particular sins were. It's, it's quite possible. But what I am saying is that Paul is speaking of one 
who has learned and knows not to think of himself even as more important than he ought. Was he important in the plan of God? Absolutely. Does he think he's better than everyone else? Does he think he's more important than anyone else? That God needs him to take the gospel to the Gentiles? That God couldn't have raised up someone else? That God couldn't have raised up rocks and trees to do the job? No. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And Paul has experienced this. God does not give me the gifts or the spiritual gift that I've been given so that I can think that I'm better and more important than others. Do not think of yourself as, as God's gift to the church. Now, I think you understand what I mean uh, by that expression, right? God has given you a gift to use to the church, but we use that phrase in English. Oh, they think they're God's gift. And we say it kind of sarcastically that, that oh, yeah, you're the most important here and, and everything should revolve around you. And so when I say that to you, I say that in that sort of American phrase that we have. Don't think that you're God's gift to the church. This is something that myself, I need to, to, to keep myself in check. Uh, I could die tomorrow. And you know what? The church would continue to go on. I hope a few of you would cry for me and, and miss me. Uh, but re- the reality is God would raise up another pastor and a preacher and teacher. And, and I would just be rotting in the grave until the Lord returns. You know, of course, I'd be in heaven, but, you know, my body would be rotting in the grave. I am not God's gift uh, and most important person in the life of any church. We need to be careful how we view our spiritual gifts. This isn't to say that your gift isn't important. Because we are to think of our gifts with sober judgment. It's to say, don't get it out of proportion. So what does it look like when you you give, uh, you think of yourself as more highly than you ought? I'm just going to run through some things. Uh, I just tried to list out some ways that that you see sometimes people maybe thinking of themselves as more important. And I'm just saying this in a general way, not with anyone specific. When I think that that some ministry in the life of the church is my ministry and I can't share it or or it can't succeed without me, I'm probably falling into this trap. And, and I'll tell you what, pastors fall into this trap. That, well, hey, this church wouldn't thrive without me. It can't succeed without me. My name needs to be on the church logo or website, or I need to have a ministry named after me. Some build their ministries about how many people are coming to hear them. And suddenly it shifts from God has given me this gift and I'm using it to God is using me. And I need to be here and do this. So if you're if you find yourself at any point in your life thinking that some ministry in the life of the church is my ministry and it can't succeed without me. When this church is not uh, our church, but it becomes my church. When I can't let others step up and serve. When I can't take a suggestion from others without feeling threatened. When I can't look at the way someone is doing something in the, in the church and say, okay, you know what? That's not the way that I would have done it. But you know what? They're using their gifts. They're, they're doing it. When I have to have an opinion about everything and hold every opinion as a hill to die on. There are some individuals in the life of the church, and I'm speaking in a general way, that think that they have every gift. Or that they have uh, the gift that allows them to know what everyone else's gifts are and what will work and what won't. As a leader, when I trust, 
when I can't trust responsibilities and decisions to other people. Uh, This is something in the life of the church that as we continue to grow, we realize that as elders and deacons, we can't do everything. It's not our job to do everything. It's our job to oversee and to guide and direct. But we have to entrust people to use the spiritual gift that God has, has given them. We have to allow them to use the gifts within the direction of the the church ministries that he's called them to, right? But not in a way that is sort of micromanaging. We can't trust someone to use the gift that God has given them. When when we're so afraid that someone's going to make a mistake, we're not even willing to let someone try to use their spiritual gift. We could go on and... And I have a number of other different ideas, but I think you get uh, the, per- the point. And particularly for our church, as we grow, you know, God is going to send and God has been sending people uh, with more people with more spiritual gifts. And we need to be careful that that as these gifts are coming, we're we're allowing people to plug in that that maybe when we were small, I did need to do six different things. And I'm saying I in a generic sense. But now that we've grown and there are other gifts, maybe I only need to do two things that are really my primary gift. And we have to allow for that. Be careful that we don't think of ourselves as more highly than we ought. Have a reasonable and sober-minded judgment about yourself. So, but think with a sober mind, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. So, sober judgment. Someone who is of sound mind, sane, uh, thinking in a, a reasonable and sensible way. Don't go crazy in how you think of yourself in this church and your relationship to the rest of the church. So if I could say it this way, you know, calm down, Paul is saying. Yes, you have a spiritual gift. Think rightly about that spiritual gift. But don't go insane and think that you're somehow better than everybody else. Or if you aren't here, something won't get done or other people will never step up and use their gifts. God has given you a gift. Think soberly about it. There's another side to this. So we've been at this point talking about the one side, the the people that, that think they have maybe the only gift or the most gifts or the most important gifts. There are also people sometimes in the life of the church that are so timid and so shy, they either don't think that they have a spiritual gift or they have a sort of false sense of humility and don't want to step up and take the risk to use their gift. Sort of a, well, you know, my my gift really isn't that important. And well, so-and-so could probably do it better. And and so they're, they're so shy They never say, well, you know what? Yeah, God has given me a gift. They they have no confidence in the Lord giving them a spiritual gift. And And I would say to you, that is just as much a lack of sober judgment as it is to think you're higher and more important than you should be. In other words, God has given you a gift. Don't think you're a nobody in the life of the church in the sense that God doesn't have something for you to do here, to use that spiritual gift. You need to have sober judgment, balance. If your view of yourself is too high, bring it down a notch. If your view of yourself is too low, think soberly about what God has given you. Bring it up to the level that God would have you think about the gift that you have been given. 
Have the attitude and mind of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So I've been giving a lot of do's and don'ts and don't do's and all this up to this point. But I want you to see for a moment how the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ drives your attitude in the life of the church. Drives how you think about other people. So Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or some translations will say, which, is, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say that although he existed in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself even unto death on the cross. So Jesus Christ, who is equal with God, the form of God, did not consider this equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be used to his own advantage. Jesus, of all people, could have come down with all of his glory and it would not have been prideful to say, hey, worship me, I am equal with God. But he doesn't hang on to that right and privilege. Instead, he comes down in humility. He humbles himself, taking on the form of a servant, it says. This is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus Christ dies on the cross for us. When I understand that it is in the gospel that Jesus is the supreme demonstration of humility, he's coming He's dying on the cross. He is saving me. There is my motivation for humility. It's in the gospel that I understand that my salvation is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in the gospel that I understand how majestic and and powerful and glorious the Lord Jesus is. And then I see, as Corinthians says, that he gave up the riches of heaven. He doesn't stop being God, but he steps out of that royal glory in the throne room of heaven. And he comes down to earth in humility. If Jesus could do that for me, if the one who had no reason to humble himself could humble himself for my salvation, how much more do I need to look after the interests of others? How much more? Do I need to consider others more important than myself? How much more in the life of the church do I need to be careful that I don't think of myself as more highly than I ought in the spiritual gifts that God has given me? Jesus didn't have spiritual gifts. He had eternal glory. And he didn't stop being God, but he humbled himself. Any spiritual gift that I have is just that, a gift. And I have no inherent glory that people should be drawn to me or think that I'm special. How much more does the gospel then drive me 
to be humble in my own life. So the gospel is the thing that saves me, but it's also the thing that motivates me for Christian living because I see how beautiful Jesus Christ is. Second this morning, be humbled and unified. So we're building now. Be humble, and now it's be humble and unified. The human body, is Paul is going to draw this analogy, has, is, is one body, right? But it has many parts. For as in one body we are, have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Notice here Paul will start out, for as, and then in verse 5, so we. And you can see the connection that he's drawing there. You think about your human body for a moment. You are not a single cell organism. Am I right? I, I sure hope not. Uh, that would be really awkward if you were here today. Um, you have multiple body parts. And each body part does something different. And yet, you need them to be connected and work together. Remember that song you sang as a kid, you know, the knee bones connected to the shin bone and the sh- or the shin bones connected to the knee bone and the knee bones connected to the thigh bone. And I don't even remember how it goes, but but it's all connected. And, and when when your brain says to your leg, you know, move, you know how many muscles are going, you know, how many bones are having pressure and stress applied to them and ligaments are stretching. And, and you don't even think when you walk. You know that chew gum and walk at the same time? You're not really even thinking about doing any of it. And yet all of this stuff is, is working together. And it's fluid. And it's seamless. Imagine if your knee decided that it was the most important thing on the body. And it said, I don't need the hand, or I don't need the leg or the thigh. I don't need the stomach. I mean, that would be stupid, right? How silly is it when we in the body of Christ think that way about others' spiritual gifts? Just as the human body is not a single-cell organism, so also the church body isn't comprised of just one member or one person with all the gifts. Now, sometimes in the life of the church, you have a person that has a few more gifts than someone else. Just like sometimes in the human body, you know, you use your hand uh, probably more than you use your spleen. But it's not to say that those things in the body aren't unimportant. First Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ. So the church body has many parts, but notice what Paul even says here. We belong to one another. Look at verse five. So we, though many, again, think of the analogy of the human body, many parts, right? So we, though many, meaning many people, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul could be applying this to the church universal. Sometimes when the scriptures talk about the body of Christ, it's thinking about everybody that's been saved throughout all of history and all of time and in every location. Uh, and in that sense, we all are part of one body. We all belong to Jesus. 
that, that a genuine believer uh, at the church down the street is just as much a member of the body of Christ as we are here in this local body. Or someone overseas, uh, hidden away, worshiping in China this morning or this evening or whatever time of day it is there, is just as much as part of the one body as everyone else. And so we call that the universal church. But keep in mind here that Paul is speaking to a local church in Rome. He's writing this letter to them. And and so part of the application is, how does the local church work as one body? Now, we're not saying like as a church that we're the only ones who are saved. I just denied that, right? But what we are saying is that when a local body meets, it is to be an expression of, of the body of Christ. Which means we're not all legs. We're not all arms. We're not all eyes. One person in the life of this local church is not more important than anyone else in the life of the local church. Your spiritual gift, you may have some greater opportunities to use it, but it doesn't make it less honorable or more important than someone else's spiritual gift. So, we see here, We are one body. This is where our unity comes from. It comes from being in Christ. But notice second, we are members of one another. Now, now it's fascinating to me because Paul could have said we are members of Christ. And we certainly are. He says that elsewhere, right? But, But the application he makes to you and I is we're members of each other. We're Lego blocks that connect together, that interlock. That that my gift is about serving you and your gift is about serving this body. And and so and so's gift is about contributing to the whole. And so we apply this. Do not think of your own interests as higher than other people's interests. But think of other people as more important, as better than yourselves. And we apply this language of don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Why? Because we're members of one another. And and let me just say this as an aside. I think this here is why church membership is important. It just helps us identify who's in the body. We just... When we go through church membership, we do do some basic doctrine. But the biggest thing is to hear your testimony and say, oh, hey... Yeah, they really are a Christian. It just kind of helps us to, to do what Scripture says, protect uh, the sheep of God's flock from wolves that might come in. And so we just put up a little gate and we say, hey, are you really a Christian? And you say, yes, here's how you know. Here's how I accept the Lord Jesus. And on we go. And you're part of the body. And you have a spiritual gift. And you exercise it. And you use it. And you use it for the good of the body. Uh, Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Ephesians 4.4, there is one body and one spirit. Colossians 3.15, that we were called, quote, into one body. Belonging to the local body of Christ is, is belonging to each other. And so, how do I use my gifts? God put the local body together and gave it then a diversity of needed gifts. This is how the body works. Let me read for you 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, 
That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So who put the body together? Who put this local body together? Who guided people here to join and and knew what gifts we would need and brought you in at just the right time to use your gifts? God. God did. When I first came here four years ago, I don't know if I I said this publicly, but I kind of said this to myself. I said, I'm not good at very many things, but I can preach. And I'm I'm not trying to say that I'm boasting here. I knew that was where my gift was, right? And I just kind of said, okay, you know know those church planters that they can play guitar and they can preach and they can like do the guitar and the harmonica at the same time. And they can, you know, I just, that is, that is not me. And then they, they, they're, they're super bubbly and you talk to them for two minutes and you're like, wow, he's the most awesome guy ever. And I'm, I'm kind of nerdy and awkward sometimes. And I just said, in a sense, okay, God, you're going to have to use me because I can do this. But there's a whole lot of things I can't do. And it's been kind of cool to watch over the last four years. Because we had some Sundays where, where we didn't even take offering because we didn't have ushers, right? We just put the plate in the back. And we had some Sundays where, where we weren't sure who was going to play uh, for the worship. And we had the piano. And sometimes I'd call Nancy up and be like, hey, do you think you could play this week? Because we don't have anybody. And, and so we'd have to pick hymns that, that she was familiar with because I was like very last minute. And then God sent us Jason, and suddenly we had a guitar. And then God sent us Matt, and we had a bass. And then we had two guitars when Isaac came. And now we've got drums. And maybe next week we'll have a ukulele. I don't, I don't know. But this happened not just with worship. That's the easy one because you all see this. This happened in very many ministries in the life of this church. And some people, when we, will, we started, and Helen will tell you this, some people were doing like 15 different things. And now they're maybe doing ten or five. That's how the body's supposed to work. That's how the gifts are supposed to, to spread and, and be diversified. And this really, this really is the vision for the life of the church. If you think about, think about this as a human illustration. Imagine you only had one arm, right? And, and all of that arm would have to lift everything. And, and it would get tired after a while, right? And imagine if you went to your doctor and he said... Uh, and this is kind of sci-fi-ish, but just imagine with me. He said, hey, we can grow you a second arm now. And you'd be like, that is awesome. And you get your second arm and you're moving it around and you're using it and you're lifting. And suddenly the first arm is like not having to lift as much. How silly would it be if that arm said, well, I'm not appreciated anymore because instead of lifting 100 pounds, I'm only lifting 50 because the other guy is lifting 50 now. No. You need both arms. You need that diversity in the body. And so it is as our, our church body grows, as our local body grows, we, we make room for people with gifts and we begin to see a, a greater diversity of the gifts. And so that one arm isn't being kicked out of its job. It's, it's spreading around the load. And that other arm, you know, when you, when you get a new arm with new muscles, you have to build that muscles up, right? Until it's full and as strong as the other one. And, and that is true in the life of the church. 
you get someone young and they're just a new Christian or, or maybe they're just even entering the teenage years or adulthood and, and they've never taught Sunday school. But they have the gift of teaching. And so you let them try it out a little. You, you kind of give them some boundaries, some guidelines. You watch them do it. You, you walk along with them. And over the years, you help them cultivate that until at some point they're teaching just as much as you are. And maybe they eventually take your job over because you're like, well, I'm too old and tired to teach. or I'm too, uh, My back hurts too much to get down and pick up these toddlers anymore. I'll tell you this. This is one of our visions for the life of the church. We actually say it this way. We will raise up the next generation of church leaders and pastors and missionaries. And part of that entails passing off responsibilities. Part of that involves shaping people and allowing them to use their their gifts and allowing them even. Uh, my dad and I have this conversation all the time because he's in church planning and, and he says, you know, sometimes you got to let people make mistakes like they're using their gift for the first time. And kind of remember how you rode the bike for the first time and, and you wobbled and you needed that wobble. And, and as a parent, you want to just run in there. And be like, No, stop. You're going to fall. But the child needs to wobble. And sometimes even needs to fall down in a safe place so that they learn to ride that bike on their own. And so it is with our spiritual gifts. It's a gift from God. We need to exercise it. We need to use it. But we also need to be in a place where the body works together to help cultivate and, and grow up these gifts. So your goal in ministry, whatever God has given you, I think should always be to pass it off. Like, who's going to replace me? That's not to say you don't do your job for a a faithful period of time. We should always be thinking about the next person. And who who can I bring alongside me to to do this with me? So that when I'm not here, they're already ready to do it. Uh, Just if you watch the movie Cars 3, we just watched that with the kids. So it was fresh on my mind. And the driver, Lightning McQueen, he's this car. Some of the little kids, this, this illustration will identify it. You'll identify with this, right? And he's getting old, and he can't win these races anymore. And so he spends the whole year, like, training like crazy to, to be the winner of this race. And long story short, there's this girl car that's training him. And he suddenly realizes that his job is to make her the racer and not himself. He thinks he's getting all back into shape to do his race. And he's really training her to do her race. And one day you're going to die if the Lord doesn't return first. And someone is going to take the mantle and run the race. And the vision of the church in the using of its gifts needs to be to prepare that person and pass it off. Think about that. And when you think that way, it puts into check this this sin that grows in each one of us of desiring to think that we are more important, to think of our gift more highly than we ought to think. And it gives us that sober judgment and it brings unity. You know, when you work out a muscle in the body, you stretch that muscle. And it it becomes weak. But as you stretch it, 
your body builds up new protein around that and new muscle cells are developed. And maybe God is stretching you in your ministry so that you are learning, I don't have to do this alone. Other muscles, other teachers, other people with my gift can come along and I can help them and they'll be the new muscle Third, this morning, be humbled and unified in order to use your spiritual gift. So God has given us different gifts according to his grace. Look at verse six, having different gifts that differ according to grace given to us. Different gifts in the life of the church is good. I want to just ask the question, if you haven't asked it to yourself already, do you know what your spiritual gift is? If you're a Christian, God has given you a spiritual gift, at least one and oftentimes more than one. Do you know what they are? Second, spiritual gifts are just as much a gift of God's grace. Hopefully you would never get prideful about your salvation. We've gone through all of Romans chapter 1 through 11. If you're going to get prideful about your salvation, I'm going to have to start back over right back at chapter 1. But don't get prideful about your gift either. See, sometimes we we have this, well, I'm saved by grace, but now I'm in the body. And all that stuff about pride. Well, of course, I wouldn't get prideful about salvation, but we don't apply it to the rest of the Christian life. Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And it talks about, then it goes on to how the Holy Spirit has given gifts to the church. Then third, we need, to, we need to use our spiritual gift. So use the gift that God has given you in a manner that is in accordance with its purpose. So notice this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, you, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads in zeal, the one who does in acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul basically has this list, and this isn't an exhaustive list of the gift. And he says, if this is your gift, then use it this way, the way it was designed, the way it was intended. So he doesn't say, well, you know, if you have the gift of teaching, uh, teach with generosity. Well, I mean, yeah, you should teach with generosity and abundance. But but he's saying like generosity is if you have the gift of giving. Like I don't expect someone that has the gift of giving to necessarily be a good teacher. Sometimes they are, but sometimes they aren't. Paul has this sort of way of saying stay in your lane. Right? If that's the gift that God has given you, use that gift. Stay in the lane of that gift. If he's given you more than one gift, so, so then you've got two lanes you can drive in. But maybe there's this gift over here that you don't have. Don't go over there into that lane and say, well, that's the gift I need to use. Or that's what I need to try to do. Or be critical of someone driving that lane using that gift. Why aren't you over here doing this gift like I do? You see how this goes back to that each one of us shouldn't think of himself as more highly than he ought. Use your gift in a manner consistent with what it's given. So if you have the gift of teaching, work hard at being a teacher, studying uh, and preparing. Uh, by the way, I'm just so grateful for, you know, there's been so many times in the life of the church, people have just kind of 
you guys let me prepare for the sermons. I mean, things come up and emergencies happen, and that's that's wonderful. But but I, there's been so many number of times where like uh, a doorknob needs fixed or a uh, toilet needs plunged or something, and and someone else just like, hey, you're, you, you, pastor, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. It's it's the way the body should work. If you love to serve people, some of you maybe have the gift of serving. And, and you love being that person behind the scenes uh, and, and not being noticed. Serve your heart out. Go to Helen and, or Carl the deacons and say, hey, uh, do you have stuff that you need me to do? I like to serve. And they will, they will have this long list for you, I'm sure. Find out what your gift is and put it to use. Keep your main gift or gifts at the forefront of what you're focusing on doing. Acts chapter 6, the early church did this, right? The disciples saw that widows were being neglected. The apostles in the church, the early leaders said, hey, we can't neglect the ministry of prayer and teaching. And so they set apart seven men filled with the Spirit to make sure that the needs of the widows were being met and the food distribution was being divided up evenly because some people have been neglected. Like this is what the body needs. The apostles saying, hey, this is our role. This is what God has given us. But we've got to take care of these widows. But we can't do everything. And so they gave the responsibility to someone else, to these, uh, which I think were the first deacons. So again, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let us not look after our own interests but also the interests of others. I want to ask some closing questions this morning. Do I consider other people in this body as more important than me? Do I use my gifts in a way that look after the interests of others? Do I use my gifts out of serving others? Or is there a secret desire that others see me using it? And praise me. Could I be content in using my gift if no one ever noticed, no one ever said anything, but I knew I was helping, serving other people, and serving God? Is my service unto the Lord, or is it so that I can be recognized? Do I know what my spiritual gift is? is God's given each one of a gift given each one of us a gift and he calls us to be humble about it and he calls us to use it in the body with unity that I'm not better than anybody else that this isn't my ministry this gift that God gave me is a is a gift from God but then he does call me to use it and not be afraid to use it. I hope you'll spend some time in prayer out of this and think about your spiritual gift and use it in the life of the church. Or maybe even think about the attitude with which you've been using your spiritual gift. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just want to come into your presence and we want to thank you and glorify you. We do thank you for the spiritual gifts that you've given us. We pray that we would use it. We pray that as a body we would work together, just as our human body, 
uh, needs to work together and the muscles need to fire in conjunction and unison, in harmony. Lord, help us to model in the life of the church the unity that we have in Christ, one body under one Lord with one Holy Spirit, so we might be one local body of your great universal body of people that you've saved. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.